the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday evening. Uh, We're going to talk uh, about our justice system here in the next couple of segments. So uh, listen carefully because we're going to take an inside look as to what goes on in our justice center down in Cleveland. And uh, with us to tell us about it tonight is Laurieann Dyke, who is not only a staff attorney, down at Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court uh, for the last 13 years. Uh, Lorianne Dyke, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me. Our, our pleasure. Uh, staff attorney, that uh, for people, let's assume that the people who are really interested in listening to us tonight know nothing about what's going on down in the courthouse. A staff attorney, what, what does that mean and, and what is that role? Well, a lot of people aren't aware that a... Uh staff attorney, each judge at the Common Pleas Court for the General Division has one staff attorney who works for them, and our title is Judicial Staff Attorney. And we do, um, basically, we kind of run the docket for the judge. We keep the docket going. We um, schedule all the cases. We handle all the phone calls from attorneys um, and pro se's, which means someone who represents themselves in order to... uh, facilitate the docket and what we're doing while um, we're not doing that is that we're uh, doing a lot of research and writing Mm -hmm. on various legal issues in order to advise the judge about cases well I I would think that uh, research and writing is one of the big things at least I see staff attorneys getting involved in uh, when we file motions Uh, as a trial lawyer uh, and people again probably don't understand as much by not being involved in it that when a civil lawsuit, especially a civil lawsuit, is filed, there's usually a lot of motion practice that goes along with that. And Correct. Uh, I, I would and ass- go ahead. What a motion is, is, it means that you're asking the court for some type of ruling. In case anyone is wondering what a motion is, right? Um, you're basically that's an attorney or someone who's represent, representing themselves. Themselves is. It's their way of asking the court for a ruling on a certain matter, um, a certain uh, issue in the case. Well, and uh, that comes up all the time that a motion has to be filed when a client would basically think, well, can't you just call up the judge and get an answer? Uh, it has to be in writing. It has to be well thought out. Uh, and both sides get to respond, and, and then basically you present your research to the judge, and the judge goes from there. Correct. It, never just phone the court and speak to a judge um, you have to make a uh, you have to put something in writing in order for it to appear on a docket because the court speaks through their docket and whatever's on the docket basically represents what's um, going on in the case so it's not the process is not a um, very lackadaisical process where you mm-hmm. just call the court and ask for something and get an answer it's a process that needs to be done through writing. 
Well, that's a, another thing I remember um, is that the court acts through its docket and through the court record. So if you, if you need a, a solid, detailed argument put on the record, that's the way to do it. And you're involved in that. Well, uh, also, you, right. you're, uh, we're talking to Lorianne Dyke, who is a staff, judicial staff attorney in the Cuyahoga County Common Police Court, who has also decided to run for judge uh, in yeah. the Common Police Court. Well, congratulations on getting out there and uh, facing all the voters like we need people to do. So thank you for your, your, your efforts in this department. Well, thank you. It's been, um, it's been a pleasure uh, being out in the community and speaking with people um, as I've been uh, doing my campaign and running for judge. How does one run for judge? I mean, uh, we know people who are running for governor and running for the state offices and running for uh, congressional seats and that kind of thing, but we we have how many judges in Cuyahoga County? Uh, Cuyahoga County is a large county for Ohio. It's um, actually the largest um, county in population. Uh, Columbus, uh, they come in uh, second right now in population. So Cuyahoga County is a a very large area. It's over a million people. And uh, so we do have a lot of judges. Um, We have a lot of commerce here and um, just a vibrant um, life here in Cuyahoga County. So there's 34 uh, common pleas judges on the general division. And then there's specialized divisions. There's a juvenile division, a domestic relations division, and a probate division. And that's all part of uh, the common police court. And there's approximately about 48 judges, I believe. In in total. So that that doesn't... They're not all elected at the same time. I I think the term for common police judges, is that six years? Am I correct? Correct. The term is six years. And not everyone runs on the same years. Um, They're all staggered all over. Elections are every other year uh-huh. on uh, uh, uneven, or I'm sorry, even years, and as it is now, 2018. And uh, they're staggered, so you don't have the whole court um, focusing on a campaign at the same time. Well, that's good. At least you get to spend six years as a judge without having to be campaigning uh, for a two-year term like uh, some of the other offices have to do. Um, Well, with your experience uh, being right there in the court, uh, working on cases on a daily basis and seeing from the inside how the court operates, uh, what what made you decide now to run for judge? I've decided to run for judge. I have a lot of experience. I've been an attorney for 20 years, over 20 years now, actually. And I've worked for the courts for uh, about 20 years now. Um, I started with two law firms, and then I became a Cuyahoga County prosecutor, and I also served as a Cuyahoga County public defender, and now I serve as a judicial staff attorney. So I think uh, one, or the most important reason of why I'm running for judge is because of my experience. I've worked at the courts for a long time, and I'd like to continue being a part of Uh, serving the public and working with the courts. And I have a lot of knowledge of the courts, and I think I can be an asset to the bench. Well, it it seems like you'd be able to do the job based on all of your experience. Uh, But uh, from being on the inside, are are there some uh, things you would like to see changed or be done differently? Well, 
one thing that uh, has been um, floated around uh, in the news lately is bond reform. Um, I think Cuyahoga County is probably going to lead Ohio in bond reform. Um, that's probably one of the changes that's coming up. Now, we're we talking about criminal law when someone has to be bonded out uh, or Correct. stay in jail till their trial starts? What, Correct. What kind it, of ref- that's the criminal law. What what kind of reform do we do we need, or why the change? What's not working? Um, sometimes um, when uh, somebody is supposed to bail, they need to uh, to post money, and a lot of the people who are involved um, who have to post bail don't have that money. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people get uh, caught up in the system, um, and they're in jail, and it's. It's very hard. It can be hard on the economy because they lose their jobs, etc. Things like that. So, what would the changes do? I mean, the bonds are basically set by the judges, right? Uh, when people are arraigned, uh, would would we have different guidelines, or is it being proposed we have a, a, a table or something or a formula? Yes, it would be different guidelines. Well, that's. Uh, that's interesting. So uh, that's sort of hard to measure to see what happens. What about the civil side of things? We have about a, a minute or so before we have to take a break. But uh, what portion of all the cases we have down there are criminal versus how many are civil? Civil make up civil cases make up most of the docket. A lot of people don't realize that. But being on the inside, I can tell you, civil cases are about two thirds of the docket. Um, I know the. Stories about crime and criminal cases is what's on TV, what makes the paper. But the civil cases are really what makes up most of the docket. And if you think about it, the average person can be affected by civil law um, if you work, if you are in a car accident, if you um, have a medical malpractice problem. There's various types of civil cases. And the civil cases are really what affects pretty much, it can affect your daily life. The law that's being uh, uh, upheld and researched mm-hmm. and uh, adjudicated is really um, something that really can affect the average person. Yeah, they cover, they cover everything. Uh, we're, we're talking to Lorianne Dyke. She's a judicial staff attorney down in Cleveland at the Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court. She's running to become a Common Pleas judge uh, this November. So uh, we're talking about the inner workings of the court and how that, that all works. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Lorianne Dyke, and you're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. 
Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. 50 cards, 50 questions. Hello, Mark Bush for just a conversation with you. Learn more about your loved ones by having the talk of a lifetime at your next family gathering. The deck of cards is offered free by Bush Funeral and Crematory Services. Request a deck of cards at bushcares.com backslash cards. 50 cards, 50 questions that will help you learn more about your loved ones. At Bush, we help families share memories. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our next segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Lori Ann Dyke, who's a judicial staff attorney down in the Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court and also a candidate uh, for Common Pleas Judge in, in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. Uh, Lorianne Dyke, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. You know, it's not all the time we, we get to staff attorneys because lawyers who handle civil cases, and mostly civil cases, that have to deal with the staff attorneys uh, do a, a lot of um, talking and a lot of meeting and a lot of interaction with staff attorneys to get a, a civil case set for trial. But one of the things I've noticed, uh, and that goes back to like 2005 when you were starting, it seems like the number of civil trials are decreasing over the years. Have, have you seen that, or is that just a sense I have? No, that's true. Um, the number of civil trials are decreasing. A lot of it has to do with economics. Um, it's very expensive to go to trial. Um, I think that's one of the biggest reasons. It takes up a lot of time. Uh, it takes up the attorney's time. It takes up the client's time. 
and then it's it's expensive. It's it costs a lot of money to put on a trial, and I think that uh, also with the option of alternative dispute resolution, uh, that's a way for people. That's arbitration, mediation, um, things like that. That's a way for people to have their time in court, and usually um, they can come to a settlement at something like that. So I think civil trials are decreasing. Um, they haven't been that common in the past, but they are getting less. Uh, I've seen that, but you know, the lawyers handling civil cases dare not civil trial. <laughs> so. Yeah. See, see how that all, all works out as you, you move along and move forward in these things. Well, I, I noticed uh, in looking at your resume that you and I have something in common. We've been involved with the Cuyahoga County Juvenile Courts Diversion Program. And uh, I, I've done that for about 10 years. You did it for about 15 years. Correct. I was the uh, magistrate for the Juvenile Diversion Program for 15 years. And um, it was something that I did pro bono. I did it without pay, but I did preside over cases um, helping, uh, well, cases involving juvenile offenders. It, it's interesting. I, I was just talking to juvenile judge um, Denise Reney about the diversion program, which is still alive and well. Uh, when we started it, you and I started it, that was back uh, at the time where, and I think the rules are still the same, we're, we're dealing with first-time offenders uh, coming into a judicial type proceeding, and uh, we would see over the years hundreds uh, of of young young violators. Uh, how how do you think that's prepared you to be a judge in your experience? Well, it is true. I did do it for a long time. I had I did have hundreds of uh, offenders um, come before me. I presided over their cases. Um, it's a setting where you uh, hear the, the police reports, you hear uh, what the juvenile offender has to say, um, you speak with the parents, usually um, it's important to have them involved, so usually they have um, something to say too. And then um, it helps, it's helped me, um, uh, I think, become a better attorney and to learn about being a judge because you uh, are presiding over a case and you're deciding um, how to help this person, uh, what type of disposition um, to render to keep them out of the system and to help them get back on track in life. I think you really find there's a, a human element to the administration of justice when you start looking at people as individuals. And uh, when, when you actually get up there on a bench and start looking at these uh, young kids and their parents, uh, I, I always felt that when we would have uh, a child, uh, usually a teenager, come in as a first offender, and both mom and dad were there, and everybody's almost on the edge of tears, that uh, this experience is going to keep them from getting involved in anything again. Has that been your experience? That's been my experience. Um, it's a great program. When I started, it was just starting to gain momentum. Um, it had been going on for a while, but really now... Um, more and more uh, communities are using juvenile diversion, and they're also using an adult diversion program. Um, because everyone can make a mistake and, you know, have a first-time offense, and it's important to uh, work with those people at the beginning, and, you know, people can come back from that. They can uh, 
they can see um, what they're doing mm-hmm. with their life, and they can actually have a very positive experience coming out of a diversion program. Well, it's interesting to note you, you stuck in there the fact that these are first-time offenders. So hopefully uh, people, and we found uh, back in, in our city that about 80% of the cases that came through did not repeat. They were not recidivist. Uh, and so apparently the message got through to them, and people are able to go on uh, living happily after. Well, at least living ever after, not necessarily happy yes. all the time. We all strive to live happily ever after. <laughs> we always search for that happiness part. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, but it, it is a very successful program. Um, our program was just as successful. The majority do not um, offend again. And um, basically that's why it's so important to have um, mm-hmm. these programs um, as being part of the court system nowadays. I, I found that even though we try Usually, I, I was finding that uh, there were certain patterns and certain profiles of juveniles that just seemed to be consistent. And uh, you know what you think at the beginning of a conversation or a uh, dealing with a, a case, you find out that yep, the the juvenile lives up to either a very good uh, profile or a not so good profile. Did did you find that to be the case? I believe that's true. Um, I think. Uh, when you're a juvenile, life is very different. Um, you live very in the moment. I think you can be very spontaneous. I think you can make mistakes. That's part of growing up. That's part of living. Um, and for the most part, I think most of the juveniles have made some type of mistake or misstep. Um, and if this is someone who's going to be a, a serious offender, then they usually end up back in the program and sent down to the um, court system downtown mm-hmm. for juveniles um, downtown. Right, right, right. Well, um, going back to staff attorney and how the courts work and so on, I'm going to ask you to uh, talk to the attorneys out there listening for the moment, and that is uh, what are, from your position in administrating civil cases through the court system and even your work with uh, any of the criminal cases, what are the couple of things that you wish attorneys would be better about doing? How could they improve? For the most part, I, I believe that attorneys out there are doing an excellent job at representing their clients and trying to please the court and appear before the court and... Um, uh, um, work on their cases. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes I do think that um, it might be easier for attorneys if it if the courts were a little actually the courts were a little bit more accommodating as to their schedules and their time. Mm-hmm. Well, as a I agree with that. Uh, one of the things we like best out here are that uh, when a civil suit is started, they have a case management conference, and to be able to do that by telephone saves gasoline, minimizes our carbon footprint, and uh, get, gets things moving more quickly. Clients' money. So That's we true. hope the courts it, um, do that. The, uh, well, I call them CMCs, but case management right. conferences by telephone um, are a very good idea. Um, well, staff excellent. Attorneys are, um, most staff attorneys really like to do them by phone, too. Good. Good. Well, keep that thought. Uh, okay, going back to your campaign now, everybody doesn't run for a county office. Uh, it's, uh, this is the time of the year where there are uh, events and chicken dinners and all that stuff. Are you, are you doing all right. of that stuff? 
Are you involved in all of that? Yes, I've been in some parades. I've been <laughs> to a lot of forums where I've uh, spoken um, with voters. Um, I'm going to have a website up so that people can uh, uh, know about me, know about my experience in the law and why I would be a good judge. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Uh, and you can see what I post on Facebook and Twitter that I've been at various events over the many months. Well, very good. Well, I'm sure that's quite an interesting experience being out there doing that kind of thing and not knowing how you're doing because I don't think the judicial candidates get much feedback. Um, we, that's try. probably true. Um, but I really, it's really enjoyable to speak to people in the public. Um, people are, for the most part, they're just very nice and they're very interested yes. in uh, the judicial system. And they just ask really interesting questions. And um, it's important that people mm -hmm. know who... Uh, they're electing as judge because you want to elect someone who has experience and uh, you want someone who you feel can be really fair and impartial. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're out of time at this point, but uh, Lori Ann Dyke, good luck to you. Thank you for your service up to this point and good luck in your, your campaign and your election. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. How's your back? Every day, thousands of people suffer with unrelenting back pain that takes time from their normal life. Dr. Patrick McCluskey and his staff at the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic provide the helping hands to relieve those nagging pains. Located in North Royalton at Sprague and York Roads, schedule an appointment today with the Timber Ridge Neck and Back Pain Clinic by calling 440-884-0083 for an appointment. That's 440-884-0083. Just imagine being neck and back pain free. 
More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I, at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, tonight, the next two segments, we're going to be talking about uh, what was going on in those days with uh, some American adventurous pilots who were out flying in China. Uh, we've heard of the Flying Tigers over the years, and we have an author who's written a book and done some research on that group. And uh, joining us tonight is Samuel Kleiner. Sam, good morning, or good evening. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. My, my pleasure. Where are you calling from today? Uh, New York City. New York City. Very good. Uh, tell us about uh, yourself and um, how you got interested in, in talking and researching about an old group like the Flying Tigers. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, my, my grandfather was a navigator on a B-25 in the Pacific, so I've always just had this interest in that period in history. And as I got, um, was doing research in graduate school on that period, just decided that this was a really compelling story, and I couldn't find a good book out there on them, so they always say, you know, you should write what you want to read. Um, and the reason that I found this subject matter so compelling is precisely, as you said, because this was actually a, a covert operation that was authorized by the Roosevelt administration for Pearl Harbor, so sending over American troops to fighting in um, China against the Japanese, um, a, a mission that was originally set up um, well before Pearl Harbor. And then these um, young pilots scored the first victories of the war. They, their first battle was on December 20th, 1941, so just weeks after Pearl Harbor. And they took down a, a number of Japanese planes over Kunming, China. Um, and it was just an incredible story that helped to inspire Americans in one of our darkest hours. And for me, part of the personal connection has been getting to know the, the last, who, who's now the last survivor of the Flying Tigers and going to the reunions and meeting a lot of the family members. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was able to go down to Columbus, Georgia and present the last surviving Flying Tiger with a finished book. And that was a really personally meaningful thing for me to have that human connection with the, with this, with the unit, um, but also to be able to preserve this history for future generations after we've lost that uh, connection to the greatest generation. Well, World War II, obviously, for for all of us, uh, is so remote. Uh, my father is still with us at age 96, a World War II veteran, and he still talks about uh, that most all-consuming war that uh, civilians as well as military people, if you weren't in the military, you were involved in the war effort somehow, and it, it like I mentioned, just consumed everyone. 
Uh, in your conversations, going back to your grandfather as a B-25 pilot, that's a story in itself. Did you find your grandfather willing to talk about the details of his experiences? Yeah, he was He was a navigator on a B-25 um, in the Pacific. And growing up, um, you know, I don't, I don't think he really talked a lot about his experiences explicitly, but he would go with me to an air museum near where I was from in Arizona and talk to me about the planes and stuff and tell me about that era. So I, I, I definitely reached a, a level of um, interest in that from him um, just uh, just growing up, um, and so that that meant a lot to me to be able to have that kind of connection um, to him, um, and definitely fostered a, you know an interest in that period growing up and reading all I could about about the war and trying to um, you know just just understand more about that period. And what I really like about this book is that it's really about you know not just uh, there's so many stories from World War II, but this is really about America on the cusp of war and what the Roosevelt administration was doing as we started to explore um, you know the fact that there were wars raging in the Pacific and in the Atlantic and trying to think through what was America going to do how are we going to navigate this and Roosevelt was treading a very thin line on trying to um, keep America out of war but also supporting the allies and that's really what this book is about I, I had the chance to fly in a B-25 down in Florida and Georgia and uh, if you haven't had the experience, the, the planes were not built for comfort, and realizing that we had people in their early 20s, late teens uh, flying these things, going going to war was something. Uh, in talking about the Flying Tigers, uh, did you have a chance to talk uh, to some of the Flying Tigers uh, over the course of your research that uh, would, would actually talk about their, their feelings and uh, their reasons for getting involved and so forth? Absolutely, and so it's, it's one of the amazing things about this unit is that for for most of these guys, you know, this was something they did, as you said, in their 20s, and then going forward, they would go on to all different kinds of professional pursuits. Some became lawyers or doctors or became commercial pilots, but for all of them, being a flying tiger was really the most important thing they ever did. So every year, starting in the 1950s, they would have these reunions where they would get together for a weekend and kind of you know, talk about old times. As they got older, you know, there'd be more walkers and canes around. Um, and I started, I, when I was getting interested in this, um, was in, kind of accepted in as a, as a historian to these, which was quite rare for a very closed community. So I started going to these reunions in 2015, um, and there's now only one survivor left, so it's mostly family members that go to these. But I've become very close with um, the man who's now the last surviving flying tiger. He's 98 years old. He lives down in Columbus, Georgia. Um, his name is Frank Lazonski, and he was a crew chief. Um, and he was originally from Detroit, Michigan, kind of a child of the Great Depression. And this was, you know, someone approached him and said, you know, do you want to go on this kind of crazy adventure to Asia? You'll get paid a good amount. Um, you'll have a chance to maybe see some real combat. Um, and that was exciting for him. And he'd barely left the state of Michigan over the course of his life and then was on a ship over to Burma and China. Um, and so that really resonated for me, getting the chance to talk with him and capture some of his feelings about why he did this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, and also so much of the research has been based on these incredible archival documents that um, the families have given me access to. And that's really been at the core of what I've been doing is trying to assemble diaries and letters and combat reports and photographs that so many of these families have kept as heirlooms but kind of closed off to the public 
and being able to put that all in one place and to give um, you know, the public the ability to understand the Flying Tigers because so many people have seen the John Wayne movie or they recognize the shark face. Uh, oh, right. Reporting. But, we, but really, we don't know what's going on with that whole story. And, you know, the Wayne movie is great, but it's, but it's a lot of mythology, and I wanted to tell the real, authentic story. Well, what are some of the, the big differences between the reality and the mythology that you found? What, absolutely. The Wayne movie is really great, and I highly recommend people take a look at it. But the um, that was really done, um, you know, early in the war um, as Pretty much as, as kind of propaganda, I was going to say propaganda, which, is, you know, sure. which has its role. Um, but it's interesting. The last scene in that film is, is um, Pearl Harbor, or, or they get the news about Pearl Harbor, and it's all about the combat that the Flying Tigers have done before that point. But the reality was that um, the Flying Tigers were actually fighting their first battle a couple weeks after Pearl Harbor. So it's you know it's an important distinction. Just want an example of how you know, in the middle of war, these stories kind of get, get warped up, and, you know, we don't always take the time, you know, afterwards to, to try and stack together what the real story was, and so part of what I was doing in this book is really doing very rigorous research in these archival documents to, to get the facts right so we understand what actually happened, and it turns out, I think, that the story that I'm telling and the, the real story is even better than, you know, the one that Hollywood created because it, it really happened. And you get to know um, the real pilots and crew chiefs and, uh, you know, the so many members of, of the unit um, that, um, that um, you know, that were able to um, be part of, the, uh, the, of this experience. Um, and so I think that's what's compelling about this book. Well, I know we have like about a minute and a half to go before our first break, but... Uh, getting into, drilling down into the details of it, if this were to happen today, uh, we would uh, be able to look at things back then as we're looking at 20-year-olds looking at uh, the airplanes they would fly. It was the P-40, Warhawk was the airplane, and that was like state-of-the-art fighter planes at the time. Uh, Where did they learn to fly these, in China or in the United States, and who trained them? It's it's interesting because that was um, kind of a unique plane, um, most of these guys hadn't really flown it before, so it was, it was an army plane, and a lot of these pilots were coming out of the Marine Corps and the Navy, and they'd been flying very different planes, so that was one of the problems that the commander of the unit, Claire Chenault, had to deal with, and um, so they get over, and they, they originally start training at a secret base in a remote part of Burma, which at the time was a British colony. And even before they get into combat, they already had a number of um, casualties because um, these guys were going up in these planes and trying to figure out how to fly them. Oh boy! Um, and they would they would crash. So they they had you know very quickly the experience went from just being this sense of adventure to dealing with the reality that this was going to be a very um, uh, uh, you know potentially deadly situation. Um, so getting to see the diary entries from these guys where they're talking about losing their friends, you know, it's very moving. Well, let's I mean, talk about those. We're going to take a short break. We're talking to Sam Kleiner. Uh, he's the author and researcher of a, a historical book, in a sense, about the Flying Tigers, uh, U.S. Airmen in China during the early days of World War II. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. We're going to take a short break. Don't go away. We'll be back with our very interesting guests talking about the Flying Tigers. Please stand by.
You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Hello, Mark Bush for GreaterThanHeroin.com. Our nation, our state, our county, and our local communities are in the midst of this crisis. It saddens us at Bush. We see firsthand the final outcome impacting families when overdose deaths occur. GreaterThanHeroin.com is a resource for everyone. Join us in our efforts. Email feedback at greaterthanheroin.com to help us defeat this crisis. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. Uh, We're talking about the historic flying tigers of World War II fame and uh, an author from New York uh, who has researched and written a book about the Flying Tigers, and we're talking to him tonight, and his name is Sam Kleiner. Sam, thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on. My, my pleasure. What's the name of your book, by the way? Um, it's called The Flying Tigers, making this very easy. <laughs> yeah, boy. If you remember Flying Tigers, you'll remember the name of the book. So, Well, well very good. Well, we uh, were talking uh, before the break about... Um, you know, sort of the, the obviously the history of the Flying Tigers, 
and that they were learning how to fly the P-40s uh, in Burma. And it was a, a secret thing. Uh, were these people already in the U.S. Army, or did they come out of just straight civilian world, or, or how did they get into this? So, so part, most of these guys are, are actually pilots in the U.S. Army or Navy or Marine Corps who were recruited out of those units um, and then are, are basically, as part of this covert operation, go over to the Far East. So... Um, you know, the story that a lot of these guys tell is that they're sitting, you know, at a base somewhere in um, Florida or, um, and someone will approach them and say, you know, how would you like to go on this adventure on the Far East? Um, hold on one second. Sorry. Yes. Okay, we're uh, talking to Sam Kleiner about the Flying Tigers and uh, talking about the uh, the history of what that was at the time and what it might be like today having uh, U.S. airmen going through the U.S. Uh, training programs and actually uh, flying in a foreign country for foreign uh, foreign officials and a foreign government. So, yeah. And yeah, so that's, the, that's that strange. It was a really, really incredible experience for a lot of these guys to, to just be recruited out, and it was a sense of great adventure for them to um, have the opportunity to go to the Far East um, and, and take up the, the op- take up this uh um, something that was completely unfamiliar for them. So most of these guys had never really left the county they were from before. Um, and, you know, for, for many of them, this would be the defining thing for the rest of their lives. Did you run into the term bloodshed in your studies? Absolutely. So that you, yeah, it's a fa- fascinating thought. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, so one of the problems that these guys encountered was that they, um, they um, didn't have... Um, they didn't speak Chinese, and the Chinese population didn't really speak English, and so they needed a way, if they were shot down, to be able to communicate who they were and the fact that they were friends and not an enemy. So they um, would put these signs on the back of their jackets that said, um, we are, uh, you know, we're a friend of the Chinese people, and we've come to help you, and um, those uh, became known as the bloodshed, and they were kind of sewn onto the back of their jackets. And it became kind of one of the legacies of the Flying Tigers that they had this um, this uh, unique symbol that that helped to um, uh, identify them. Um, but you know, there's a lasting legacy also of cooperation with the Chinese. That in today's world, it's important for us to remember that there was, um, you know, uh, our, our nations are not bound to be enemies. That there's actually a real story of cooperation. China has been called the forgotten ally of World War II because they. Um, it played such an important role in the war, and we've we've really forgotten that history. And so, part of what I'm hoping to do in this book is to restore our, our the, the memory of that alliance. Um, and listeners can find out a lot more on on my website, which is flyingtigersbook.com. And of course, if you pick up the book, um, which is available at bookstores anywhere on on Amazon, there's a ton of um, photographs that have never been published before, and a lot of information about the flying tigers that that uh, even if you've seen the movie or recognize the plane, you might not have heard before. You know, after uh, the war, I remember when I was uh, younger, there used to be a flying tigers freight line. It was a air, it was an airline for hauling. And it, it was always rumored that uh, this was run by former flying tigers pilots. Is that any truth to that? Yeah, it was always kind of, everyone was always trying to make some money off the Flying Tiger's name, but there, uh-huh. was, there, there was definitely an aspect of truth to that, and that was later sold to Federal Express, became part of their, um, part of what they were doing. Um, 
definitely a lot of legacy of um, of uh, flying tigers uh, 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 e- even after the war. Interesting that uh, we we do have uh, some vestigial. Uh, connection to FedEx going back to the Flying Tigers, but uh, that was that was interesting. Well, you mentioned they're down to the last uh, surviving Flying Tiger. Uh, in the time since 2015 that you've been attending their reunions, uh, uh, tell us about uh, how some of the people were doing and, and what how crisp were their memories for you. Frank's, Frank remembers it like it was yesterday. Um, you know, it's really amazing to get to speak with someone who has that um, great recollection of it. He kept an incredible diary that I've been able to um, use in, in writing the book and had took wonderful photographs that are in the book as well. Um, so for so many of these guys, this was really the most important thing they did. And it's also wonderful to see families now stepping up, you know, uh, children, grandchildren, cousins who come to these reunions and help to bring artifacts from their family that help tell the story of the Flying Tigers. And so it's really going to be those families that, that help to keep this whole story alive. Yeah, going back uh, into the times where this is actually happening, were, were there Flying Tigers who were actually shot down and then captured by the Japanese? Yes, there were a number of those. And so if you, if you uh, readers are interested in those stories, there's definitely a number of those in the book of um, men who spent many years in Japanese uh, POW camps, and these experiences are harrowing in their own right. Um, but I definitely uh, tried to capture what that experience was like also, because for an unfortunate number of them, that was that was their fate. Uh, was there also some uh, pilots who were captured and, and imprisoned by the Chinese during the war? No, I, 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 we actually had, and this might be surprising, um, the Chinese communists who were also operating in the area were actually very helpful in rescuing American pilots who were shot down. So, you know, obviously later Mao would become an enemy of the U.S., but at the time there was a lot of cooperation. Um, and so that's an, an important aspect of this story that's important to keep in mind um, is, you know, there's so much um, a, a sense of animosity towards China now, but there was a lot of cooperation in the war, and that's an important uh, memory for us to keep alive. With uh, the, yeah, you say the memory of the Flying Tigers, there are so many different groups, and I know we're losing World War II veterans uh, very, very quickly. Uh, I know that you mentioned that they started flying out there before the United States was actually out there in that uh, theater of war. Was there a time that during the war the Flying Tigers um, became back uh, to be a part of the U.S. Armed Forces? Yeah, that happened in July of 1942, so most of the pilots ended up actually going back to the U.S. at that point. Um, but they had, um, uh, most of them would end up going back in the war later. So um, there were these massive homecoming parades, and they were really welcomed home as heroes because that was a very um, trying time in the war, and there was a need for um, these kind of heroes. Um, and then later on, they would... Um, find themselves uh, going back and fighting in other theaters of the war. And it was, uh, they, many of them, uh, two of them were awarded the Medal of Honor, mm. and many of them went on to win acclaim in their own right. Well, those are some amazing stories. The name of the book is called Flying Tigers, and uh, we're talking to uh, Sam Kleiner, who's the uh, researcher and author uh, of the book, to give us some insight into uh, the greatest generation as their uh, passing on in, in record numbers, and there are fewer and fewer survivors of World War II to tell the story. So, uh, Sam, very, very pleased you're able to, to get that story out uh, and, and get it to us. And as you mentioned, that book's available on Amazon. 
Amazon and it's wherever books are sold. And I really think it's one of the great untold stories of the greatest generation. So I hope listeners check out The Flying Tigers by Sam Kleiner. And thanks for having me on. Well, it's great. Well, you know, this uh, being spring and uh, getting into summer, it's a great read uh, to uh, actually learn something profitable for our minds here. Uh, are you working on any other projects real quick? Um, my day job of a lawyer, um, that's, that's another very part good. of my life, and I'm also, I've gotten very interested in um, the history of women in World War II, so working on some ideas about um, units of women in World War II, and I think that might be next. Oh, the wasps and the waves and and uh, all of those people, but uh, while it helps to be a lawyer, uh, as I'm an attorney also, I know the idea of constantly being curious and digging up these things is, I think, part of our profession anyway, but uh, that's... Thank you so much. That should work. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, uh, Sam, and good luck, and we'll look forward to The Flying Tigers and also the next book concerning the women in World War II. Great. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome, Sam. That was Sam Kleiner, author of The Flying Tigers, and uh, that does it for us for tonight. So between now and next week, have a great week. Uh, We'll be back, same time, same station. So have a great week again. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind for company The preceding program's views, claims, or representations may not reflect those of AM 1420 The Answer or Salem Media Group. Say goodbye to the mainland and aloha to the breathtaking sights of Hawaii with our Aloha Summer Vacation Sweepstakes. Enter now for your chance to win a seven-day, six-night stay in paradise for two. WHKRadio.com. A local window company in business for 58 years. That's no accident. I'm with my friend Bill from Empire Window Company. Bill, I like what you stand for. You make buying windows simple. At Empire Window Company, you'll get a great product and you'll get a fair price. We've been in business longer than most of our competitors put together, almost 60 years now, and we're local. Before you make a decision, you're going to want to give us a call. You'll be happy you did. To celebrate 58 years right now, get eight quality windows for your home from $58 a month. Call 855-76-EMPIRE. Choose from double hung, sliding, casement and awning, bow and bay windows, 855-76-EMPIRE. And if you're thinking about vinyl siding, try 35% off and free gutters with your siding project. You can see what replacement windows and siding would look like on your home before you buy on Empire's free online design center. Visit EmpireWindowCompany.com. 58 years, that's a lot of satisfied customers. Empire Window Company, 855-76-EMPIRE. Veterans, are you struggling and looking for help? Well, the great thing about Ohio is that there is a county veteran service office in all 88 counties across the state. These county veteran service offices can help with transportation to your VA appointments, help you process your VA claims, provide transition assistance, provide emergency financial assistance to those that qualify, and so much more. Just visit ohiovets.gov to get more information. They are here to help you. Sponsored by the Ohio Department of Veteran Services and aired by OAB and this station. The following is made possible by Dad. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling all over it. (laughs) The Dad Joke. Corny, groan-worthy, but also one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. Why do you have to be careful when it's raining cats and dogs? Because you might step in a poodle. (laughs) And kids that spend more time with their dads grow up to be smarter, more successful. 
Can I tell you a cat joke? Just kidding. <laughs> and with any luck, funnier adults. Why didn't the skeleton go to the dance? Because he didn't have any body to go with. Dad jokes rule. So take a moment to make a moment and give your kid a laugh. <laughs> It's as easy as going to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. <laughs> That's really funny. Mining Twitter to bring you who said what in U.S. politics and breaking news 24-7. Get twitchy and stay connected. Twitchy.com. On Facebook, so are we. Visit our Facebook page by searching for AM1420, The Answer. Do you need The Answer on the go? Check out our all-new AM1420, The Answer app on the Google Play Store or App Store. This is AM 1420, The Answer, WHK, Cleveland, a service of Salem Media Group, NASDAQ at SALM, AM 14. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.